Hello, I'm Tony Payne, and welcome to another edition of The Painful Truth, the text and audio journal that I put out every week that seeks to bring the truth of Christ crucified to all the different aspects of our lives as his people. And obviously, you're listening to the audio version, but there is a text version for those of you who don't realize that. If you subscribe to The Painful Truth at thepainfultruth.substack.com, that text version will be sent to your inbox every week, usually on a Tuesday, along with a link to listen to the audio version, if you'd like to. And I particularly want to mention that this week because my subject this week is reading and the joys and benefits of reading. In fact, the power of reading slowly. There are some things that are worth doing quickly. That's certainly true. Being reconciled with someone, for example, is always best done in a hurry, as Matthew 5 23 to 25 says, or putting some distance between yourself and idolatry. That's also something to do with a rush, says Paul in 1 Corinthians 10. Flee idolatry, he says. And it's kind of hard to flee something slowly. And of course, listening is something we should be quick to do, says James, rather than being quick to speak, as we so often are. But on the whole, hastiness isn't an overly healthy thing in the Bible, when you think about it. The feet of the wicked always seem to be hastening off after their latest wicked plans in, in the book of Proverbs. In fact, hastening off after anything that you desire isn't a good idea generally as far as Proverbs is concerned. In Proverbs 19.2, it says that if you do that, you're very likely to get lost and to lose your way. And of course, the man who is hasty in his words, well, there is more hope for a fool than for him, says Proverbs 29.20. And I'm sure I'm not the only one who's found in this era of coronavirus isolation that there's a real benefit in slowing down. And I've discovered afresh over the past several months, as I'm sure many of you have, some of the benefits of just reducing the pace a little bit as we've been forced to do. And one beneficiary for me, certainly, has been my daily Bible reading and prayer. It's the best it's been for ages. And it's partly because my routine is different, and I've just had to slow down my morning routine in particular. Rather than dashing out the door to catch the morning train, and then often having a less than satisfactory Bible read and pray while on the train, and being jostled about the place by everybody else, I can now take things a little bit more easily. I take the 12 slow steps up to my office here in my home in West Ride in Sydney. Uh, I ignore the computer that is sitting there looking at me, begging to be turned on immediately, as it always does. I ignore that. I slump down in the old armchair in the corner of my office that used to be my mother's. I pick up two yellowing books that I unearthed recently when I was sorting out my library and unpacking all my books an ageing copy of Search the Scriptures, and an even older book, the revised version of the Bible of 1881. And I spend a blessed half hour in quiet, slow reading and prayer. I'm not late, I'm not hassled, and when I finally do answer the computer's pleas and turn it on, I'm ready to be its master rather than its servant. I'd forgotten that I owned these old books, and I'd forgotten how wonderful they are. Search the Scriptures, first published in 1949, is a simple Bible reading resource. It points you to a shortest passage that you're supposed to read next, and that for me is always half the battle. What, what am I supposed to read next? And then it just poses two or three quite insightful questions for me to ponder after I've read it. And in the, I have to say, slightly unlikely event that I use Search the Scriptures every single day without fail, I will get through the whole Bible in three years. 
And as for the revised version, I'd also forgotten what a joy it is to read the scriptures slowly. Because the RV really forces you to do that. It was first published in the 1880s as a comprehensive update to the King James or Authorised Version, and it sits very much at that literal or formal equivalence end of the translation spectrum. It tries to preserve the word order of the original and the idioms of some of the uh, words of the original language. And it also retains as many of the older classic formulations of the King James as possible. And the result is a Bible version that's not easy to read quickly. It's more of a Whole Foods Bible, I guess you could say, rather than a processed one. It takes quite a bit more chewing and more time and effort to digest, but the health benefits I'm finding are real. For example, quite often the RV retains the more concrete idiom of the original Greek or Hebrew, the imagery of the original, and it thereby brings a more vivid picture to mind. For example, I've been reading Luke recently, and in the standard contemporary translations, like the NIV, for example, it says this in Luke 4.36. All the people were amazed and said to each other, what words these are. With authority and power, he gives orders to impure spirits, and they come out. And the RV puts it like this. And amazement came upon all, and they spake together, one with another, saying, What is this word? For with authority and power he commandeth the unclean spirits, and they come out. Now, at one level, the differences between the two are pretty obvious. One uses a more oldie-worldie kind of English and has slightly more clunky grammar as far as we're concerned today. But the subtle differences in the way the translation works add up. The RV paints a much more vivid picture of amazement coming upon them all, almost like an external force or experience that descends on them from outside and that they all experience at the same time. And then they speak together, one with another, it says. And it kind of brings up the image in your mind of this experience dawning on all of them and then them turning to each other and speaking to each other, trying to understand what's going on. And what they ask each other is, what is this word? And following the Greek, the RV leaves word as singular. Uh, the NIV says, what words these are? Exclamation mark. But by asking, what is this word? The RV emphasizes the simple authoritative nature of Jesus' command that the unclean spirit come out. That's the word that they're marveling over. And by using the word unclean rather than impure, as the NIV does to describe the demonic spirit, the RV also sets off a whole series of connotations and resonances in my mind, Old Testament resonances with the category of uncleanness, which of course is such a massive thought in the Old Testament and in the Torah. Now in all of this, there's no question that the NIV is easier to read, uh, just as I suppose you'd say white rice is quicker and easier to cook and goes down more smoothly than brown rice. And there is a time for white rice, so there is also a time, I think, for simple modern translations like the NIV, especially when you're, for example, reading them aloud in public in church. But really chewing over a translation like the RV has led me to metabolize, I suppose you'd say, the, the riches and the nutrition of God's word more deeply. It's also pushed me to consider new ways of reading very familiar texts. 
For example, here is how the revised version renders Luke 5, 21 to 23. And this is where Jesus forgives the sins of the paralyzed man or the palsied man, as the RV puts it, um, who gets let down through the roof, uh, who was let down through the tiles with his couch, as the RV says. And here's what those verses say. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to reason, saying, Who is this that speaketh blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But Jesus, perceiving their reasonings, answered and said unto them, What reason ye in your hearts? Whether it is easier to say, Thy sins are forgiven thee, or to say, Arise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, and on he goes, and actually heals the palsied man. Now, the way it translates verse 23 with whether, whether is easier to say, opens up a way of reading Jesus' words that I'd never really considered before, and I don't know if you have. In other words, that the question about which is easier to do, to forgive his sins or to heal him, was actually the real question that the Pharisees were thinking about and that Jesus perceives them to be thinking about. I'd never considered that as an option, I have to say. And then the episode concludes with Jesus healing the palsied man. And note again, when the RV renders this, there are some slight differences from our normal modern translations. The NIV says, So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. But the RV puts it like this. He said unto him that was palsied, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy couch, and go unto thy house. Now, at one level, you can always find a level of uh, comic relief in, in the revised version's constructions as we read them as modern people. The idea of this guy hoisting his couch on his shoulder and, uh, and lugging the sofa home is kind of a, a comic image for us. But if we think about it, the, the more literal rending that the revised version gives us preserves the extent to which Jesus is giving the man his life back. The NIV and, and most other modern versions make it a fairly functional, dismissive kind of saying. I tell you, get up, take your mat and go home. Everything's all fixed now. It's all okay. You can go now. But the RV says, arise, which is a pregnant word, isn't it? Arise. Arise, take up thy couch. That's something you can do now. You can take up things. You can pick things up now. You couldn't do that before, could you? And go unto thy house. In other words, for the first time, and who knows how long this poor man can now go under his own steam to his own house, carrying his mat or his couch. I guess these benefits of slow Bible reading are really just part of the benefits of reading more generally, I guess. If reading the RV is brown rice and reading the NIV is a bit more like white rice, what does that make watching a YouTube daily devotion? Uh, which I notice is a much more common thing these days. Is that a Jats cracker? Reading does take time, doesn't it? It takes time and effort. Of course, writing does as well. But we learn and digest things through reading that videos or podcasts, for that matter, really can't replicate. And you might have noticed this as we've been working through this week's episode. It's a little harder to follow what I'm saying in this week's episode just by listening, because I'm talking about texts and what these texts mean. And on this, I don't just mean Bible reading. There are things to be learned from reading Christian books that podcasts and videos and YouTube clips 
just can't teach us. In a lengthy, long-form article or in a book, you can develop an argument, you can go deep into a question, you can make connections and explore implications, all in a way that you just can't achieve in, a, in an audio-visual media. Of course, it works the other way. Video and audio have their real strengths. You can do things in video and in audio that you can't do in print as well. And I'm speaking as someone who is at this very moment recording a podcast. I think they're fantastic, but they're limited. And reading has not only its pleasures, but its power and its benefits. I fear that if the steady decline in reading Christian books, or reading any books for that matter, continues... The result will be a palsied Christian mind, flabby and immobile on its couch, unable to think much for itself, and unfruitful and ill-equipped to bless others. Well, that's a slightly strong conclusion to come to, isn't it? And I'm tempted to qualify it by admitting that, of course, I'm a writer and a publisher, and I'm just the sort of person who would have that opinion. It's maybe a bit self-justificatory of me to say that reading and books are important. I'm tempted to say that, but I won't, because I think the truth is the opposite, actually. I've spent most of my life, it seems, writing and publishing, and I've realised it's because I'm very much convinced that books and writing have a unique power, power to teach and to communicate, to strengthen and develop the Christian mind, in a way that no other medium really can. And that's a power that I increasingly see neglected, unfortunately, much to our cost. Well, that's about all for this week. I did say on last week's episode that I'd be dealing with the essential purposes and methods of ministry in this week's episode, and I'm sorry that I haven't done that this week, but it is coming soon, so stay tuned. And I hope you enjoyed a little bit of the background noise that piped through at different points in today's episode, dogs barking and so on. This is not quite live radio, but at least you're getting a sense that this is being recorded in someone's house with all the normal noises. Thanks again for being with me on this week's episode. Let me once again remind you, if you haven't done so already, to zip across to thepainfultruth.substack.com and subscribe there so that you can get each edition delivered to your inbox every week. And you can also check out all the past editions, they're all there on the website at thepainfultruth.substack.com. I'm Tony Payne. Thanks for being with me. Bye for now.